Great. Thank you, Belinda and Greg, for those Bible readings. You might like to have uh, Psalm 19 open as we look at that first this morning on page 471 of our Red Church Bibles. But I want to begin with a picture. If I show you this picture, I wonder if you know what I'm about to talk about. There's a few smiles around. Anyone know what uh, links those three comedians there? Bill, do you know? Someone said over here. Yes, Phil. Would I Lie to You? Yes, Would I Lie to You is one of my favourite comedy TV game shows. Uh, Here it is with uh, their background there. It's got uh, Rob Brydon as the host in the middle there, and then two teams, and um, Lee Mack on the right is the team of one of the captains, and David Mitchell is the team captain of one of the other teams, and they have a couple of other guest uh, celebrities on each team as well. And the two teams have to separate out the facts from the fiction as they go through different rounds. And one of my favorite rounds in this game show is the This Is My round. If you don't know the game show, let me explain how this round in particular works. A special guest who is not a celebrity, we wouldn't know them, um, comes onto the stage at the end, and one of the teams has to say, This Is My, and then there are two wonderful stories, which are just that, tall stories and very uh, com- I'm funny. And then there's another story which is also uh, ludicrously funny and uh, seems crazy as well, which is true. And the other team have to guess which of the stories is the truth. Which person really knows, from the three contestants on the team, which person really knows the special guest that is on the stage? And after all the questioning that the other team gives of these stories and probing into them, uh, and a hilarious comedy, uh, this is finally asked by the host, Rob. Would you please reveal your true identity? Uh, The special guest is asked to reveal their identity. Uh, Well, today, we're going to begin to see that God has revealed his true identity. Uh, We're not left to guess which is the most plausible story or truth about a God or gods among many different narratives and stories. No, we don't need to guess. For there's one true God who has made himself known. And we can know him. As we begin our series this term on knowing God through his word and his Spirit. We're going to focus particularly on knowing God in these first two sermons. Today we're going to see that we can know something of God through his universal, his general revelation to us. And next week we'll see God's special, his particular revelation. Now this series is going to be a little bit different from our usual series, which go through a book of the Bible. We just did a little series in Habakkuk during the school holidays. Uh, We're going to be looking in this series at doctrines, truths in the Bible, and how the Bible speaks of these truths, particularly of how we can know God through his word and his spirit. We're going to go through different passages of the Bible, not every passage on the Bible that speaks to these subjects, and uh, we're going to be summarizing them and and thinking about them, but we don't just want to leave it there, that we know, know of God more at the end of this series. We want to be applying them and working them into our life. 
that we might know God more. So let's pray that God would help us do that today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who has made yourself known. You've revealed yourself to us. And as we look at that, particularly through creation today, help us to apply your word so that we truly know you through your word and by your spirit. Amen. So firstly, we're going to see the God who makes himself known, and particularly in Psalm 19. In this psalm, King David is teaching us, and God is teaching us through his anointed king, that God makes himself known in creation. Have a look back at Psalm 19, verses 1 to 6, on page 417. David, king of Israel, says in this wonderful poem, song, psalm, he says, Look, look up into the heavens, look up into the skies. And in doing so, you'll see that God exists and that God has made himself known. Uh, but actually, if you, if you look at the verses there, David doesn't so much say, look, does he? He says, listen. He says, listen. And as we listen, what do we hear? Have a look at verse 1. David says, the heavens declare. They're speaking the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. As we listen to creation. We see the glory of God. We see and hear that God is utterly impressive above everything else. And we hear the proclamation, God made me. From the little bird tweeting outside, God made me. From the wonderful view out on the harbor, God made me. As you look at your fingerprints on your hands. God made me. So that's what we hear. We hear that God made everything and he is glorious above all things. But when do we hear this? Verse 2 goes on into when this is. Day after day, they, the heavens, the skies, pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. And the idea here is that it's continuous, isn't it? Day goes into night, day by day, night by night, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. But there's an interesting thing in verse 3, how do we hear it? Because David goes on in verse 3, they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Now here's a rather poetic oxymoron, isn't there here? Because David says, yet, in verse 4, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. See, where do we hear God's revelation of himself? Well, it's everywhere. It's in all the earth, to the ends of the world. This is universal revelation. Everyone hears it. And then David gives an example of this universality. Through the sun, it's there at the end of verse 4, God has pitched in the heavens a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber like a champion, rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens, 
just as it's done this morning for us, and it makes its circuit to the other end of the heavens. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And as we go out to morning tea after this, we'll feel the warmth of the sun just in that little patch out there in the courtyard. God's voice in creation is everywhere, including on you and me this morning. Everyone, everywhere, throughout all time, hears God's voice. There's no barriers, you see, to this. That language is not a barrier to God's universal revelation of himself. Culture is not a barrier. Distance is not a barrier. Time is not a barrier. Age is not a barrier to God's revelation of himself. One theologian, Wayne Grudem, said this, For those that have eyes to see and evaluate the evidence correctly, every leaf of every tree, every blade of grass, every star in the sky, and every other part of creation all cry out continuously, God made me, God made me, God made me. God has made himself known. And I think it's because that God has made himself known in creation that I love watching nature series on TV. Because they show God's glory and proclaim the works of his hands. They show us, more so than just that there's a lovely creation out there, the natural world, through the wonderful cinematography, and maybe it's the narration of David Attenborough for his wonderful series, but they show more than that. They show us there's a creator all throughout the world, even in uninhabitable places. But it's so easy to forget this, isn't it? That creation is proclaiming, God made me. So when you next see a great view, or a sunset, or a star constellation up in the night sky, my son was pointing out one to me that I uh, hadn't known before. He'd learned about it at school, and they said, oh, there it is up there. I can't remember what it was now. Um, but he pointed it out to me. When you next see these things, say, Wow. God made that. Say that to yourself if it's just you there and praise God for it. Or say it to those around you, to your friend or to your family member or to whoever it is. God made that. We could rather really cheekily say, say to them, well, what do you hear? And then explain how Psalm 19 tells us that creation is declaring the glory of God. Or you could ask them, how, how do you think that those stars or whatever it is came to be there that we can now see through the Hubble Space Telescope like the picture there. How do you think they came to be? Or how is it that the sun sets every day and then rises again the next and then you can hear what they say? And then hopefully they'll ask you what you think. And you can say, well, it can only be because of the work of God's hands. Creation declares the glory of God, that he made it all. But it doesn't tell us what we should do about that here in Psalm 19. David doesn't give us a, a so what so much. But Paul in Romans 1 gives us the so what of God's general, his universal revelation to everyone in the world. And I don't think it's what we expect God has revealed himself to everyone everywhere. And because of this, 
as we turn to Romans 1, Paul says that God is rightly also revealing his wrath, his right anger at our sin, because we push God away. And of ourselves, despite the fact that God has universally made himself known, we don't want to know him. And we push him away. That's the second thing we'll think about today. Of ourselves, we don't want to know God. You might want to turn to page 966 in the uh, church Bibles and have a look through some of this. There's a lot in that reading that we had, and we're not going to look through all of these verses. But firstly, we're going to see here how Paul reiterates the idea that God himself has made himself known in creation. Have a look with me, first of all, at verses 19 to 20. Paul writes, What may be known about God is plain to them. Now that is people. Predominantly he's writing about Gentiles at this point, but it is all people. It's universal. What, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world right back then. God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul is saying, look, it's quite clear. God has made it known since the creation that the creation shows his power and that he is divine, that he alone is the one who is God. Paul says, everyone knows there's a creator God. Even the most ardent atheist cannot escape this. But what we do is we suppress this truth. We suppress the truth. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The truth is that there is a creator God and that we should worship him. But in our wickedness, we don't want to do that. We don't want to worship him. We want to go our own way. And that's happened ever since Adam and Eve did that in Genesis 3 and onwards and onwards. And today, we're doing that. We're suppressing the truth. Now, we smother it. Like a uh, fire blanket smothers a fire, if you've ever unfortunately had that experience on the stove or something like that. Or uh, like a fire suppression system. Uh, I was on a ferry one day and I noticed that uh, it said somewhere by one of the engines, you know, fire suppression system, danger, do not activate with anyone, you know, down in the engine room because the fire suppression system, I think if I understand it rightly, kind of fills the room with some kind of gas, uh, expelling all the oxygen and so the fire goes out. Well, that's what we're doing with God's truth. We're suppressing it. We smother it so that we can try and put it out. Or if you like another metaphor, we put on the noise-canceling headphones to shut out the voice of God that is always present and always will be because creation is there. We might shout loudly, God is dead. Those flow-on effects of the great enlightenment are actually a great suppression, aren't they? A suppression of the truth about God. Of ourselves, we suppress the truth about God. But there's more. 
We also exchange it. We swap out the wonderful creator God for idols. Have a look with me at verses 22 and 23. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being. And birds and animals and reptiles. And verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. And we do the same. As we suppress God's truth and then exchange God's truth. We give our time, our energy, our passions, our money, our worship to people, to pursuits, to possessions, to places, to palaces, if you like, to created things rather than the creator. And the result of this suppression of God's truth and exchanging God's truth for a lie is chaos. It's absolute moral chaos. Three times in Romans 1 in that section, Paul writes, God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over then to do what they want to do without him. But also, devastatingly, verse 18, as Paul kicks this off here, he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. There's another revelation from the heavens against all the godlessness and wicked of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The wrath of God is rightly being revealed. It's a present tense as God hands us over to our own ways. And God is angry at our suppression of him and our swapping him out such that we worship created things. Paul gives us a terrible, sobering assessment of humanity, doesn't he? God has made himself known, but we don't want to know him. Now, the right response to the God who makes himself known is to glorify him, Paul says here. It's to give thanks to him and praise him, but instead we give the glory that should be due to God to others. Now, we must believe God when he uses Paul to say these hard things. See, when it comes to the final judgment, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, there'll be no cry of, God, that's not fair. Now, we have that all the time, don't they? If you've got children, you probably hear it at home. God, that's not fair. There'll be no cry of that against God's judgments. There'll be no claim of, well, God, I never knew that you were there. I never knew that you're the creator and that you're going to call your creation to account for how we've related to you. That won't wash, because Paul says we are without excuse. Everyone, everywhere, through all time, is without excuse before God. We love excuses, don't we? Again, with children, if you ever have to uh, discipline them and call them to account, the excuses come out, don't they? Oh, no, it wasn't me, it wasn't my fault, it was this, it was that, it was them. They did this first. And we're just the same, really, as adults. We dress it up a bit more in a sophisticated way. But there's no excuses. We're without excuse before God. Of ourselves, we don't want to know God. And we will face his wrath for that. 
John Calvin, uh, one of the reformers, wrote uh, this about this idea. I don't know if you can read it. If not, I'll, I'll read it anyway. Here it goes. He says, It is therefore in vain that so many burning lamps shine for us in the universe to show forth the glory of its author. Although they bathe us wholly in their radiance, yet they can of themselves in no way lead us into the right path. Surely they strike some sparks, but before their fuller light shines forth, these are smothered. But although we lack the natural, natural ability to mount up to the pure and clear knowledge of God, all excuses cut off because the fault of the dullness is within us. That's the state we're in. And God could have left it there. There's no excuse before him. He'd be justified to leave it there. But he didn't. Wonderfully, in his grace, in his mercy, he's made it possible to know him rather than just know about him. We've seen that this doctrine of God's universal revelation is not a neutral doctrine. In Romans 1, Paul has shown us actually that it's a negative doctrine. It leaves us wanting before God. Now, some theologians say that this natural, this general revelation, universal revelation of God through creation is enough. It's enough and we can be saved through it and come to know God through it, but it's not. We've seen it leads us to condemnation, not salvation. Another writer says this, Creation reveals only enough of God to make me inexcusably guilty for not worshipping him. Creation reveals only enough of God to make me inexcusably guilty for not worshipping him. And so more is needed than just this general universal revelation. And wonderfully, God has given it. Special revelation is needed. Saving revelation is needed. The revelation of God's grace for sinners who suppress his universal revelation is needed. And wonderfully, God has given it. Throughout history, the history of his people, he's given it. The second half of Psalm 19 turns to that special revelation of God to his chosen people through the law. And next week, we'll see that God gives us his special revelation supremely and finally in Jesus. That's where all his revelation is pointing, to his son, the Lord Jesus. But today, we see that knowing God, knowledge of God, is not enough. Knowledge of God is not enough to save us. We need more. We need Jesus so that we might truly know God. And so as we move on in this series, we're going to see how God, through his grace, breaks in to our world through his word and by his spirit, and how he saves us through Jesus that we might rightly worship him. So you're going to have to come back for next week to hear more on God's special revelation to us in Jesus. Let's pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us in creation. Lord, as we go from here, draw our eyes upwards 
so that we might see the work of your hands, that we might see your glory in the skies, in the heavens above us, whether that be by day or by night. It pours forth speech that you, God, are the creator who made all things and that you, God, are glorious. Father, have mercy on us for when we give that glory to others, to created things. And Father, we thank you that you've worked in your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we might truly know you. Thank you for those of us who you've worked in here now, that we know you through Jesus. Lord, if there are others here who do not yet know you, draw them to your Son, that they might be saved, we pray. And Lord, send us out from here into a dark world that sees something of you, even though it suppresses it. Send us out to show people that creation declares the glory of God. And supremely, Jesus saves us that we might know you. Amen. Amen.